Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Made by Mamas the podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Georgia. And we're here talking all things parenthood. You know, the real conversations. Tips and tricks. Products we love. And brands we can't live without. Let's get into it. Oh gosh, don't I feel for you so bad. In fact, no, I feel for Luna more. Oh yeah, poor Luna, she's got chicken pox. Just before we pressed record, she came and she said, I'm so itchy. It's so boring. No, poor thing. I mean, it's funny because you obviously, I don't know if you do remember having chicken pox as a kid, but I do remember vaguely kind of moments of it. And and I never realised how much they blister. Oh, yeah. As in, I just thought they came up and they were a bit scratchy and they healed over. But she's got blisters all over her body. <sighs> oh and gosh. she came in in the middle of the night and I and she was like, mommy, she never does it. And I felt her forehead and then I moved my hand down on her neck and I felt these blisters. I turned the light on and she's genuinely covered from top to bottom. Oh and gosh. she's getting them on her face and eyes and in her ears and she's got one in her in, in her mouth it's pretty savage <laughs> yeah it's it is savage it's crazy how quickly they spread like did did you notice like anything like then before she went to bed or li- just literally they just went everywhere nothing I mean Gosh. and obviously we had our party on Saturday as well so there was about <gasps> 30 oh, yeah. there. On, and you're contagious three yeah, days of course. before so you know it was basically a chicken pox party it was a chicken pox party it. yeah I mean everyone wants one of those <laughs> everyone wants a chicken pox party because then that's it right so Kit will probably get it now won't he yes and then yeah. that'll be it done not Yay! you won't have it again it'll be out the way ticked off the list well, you just told me that there's something that we need to get. It's called Virusooth. So okay. ages ago, I wasn't sure if Axel had chicken pox or not. I thought it was hand, foot and mouth. But it did spread sort of all over his bum and his legs and stuff like that, which is, I think, quite unusual because it's usually the tummy, isn't it? Yeah, tummy and neck and yeah. Yeah. And the doctor said, looking at the scars, it, it was chicken pox. And then she told me about this stuff called Virusooth, which is supposed right. to be amazing. So okay. You're going to give it a go, aren't you? you I'm going to head out and get it later. Yeah, exactly. Um, how are you? How was your weekend? Yeah, good. I just I just feel like our weekends are so filled now. It's just, I don't know what it is. Axel now having sort of a hobby, I guess. It just takes over our life. Like football, we went from James playing football every Saturday to now Axel playing football every Saturday. And they have football festivals and like all this stuff going on. And... On one hand, you want to be like, no, I don't want to commit to that. That's just too much. You know, we you know we can't waste every waste every Saturday um, <laughs> with, with football. And then on the other on the other hand, you want to be like, no, if you commit to something, you have to stick yeah. to it. And it's yeah. a really good life lesson. <laughs> mm. 
But I bet always, you're thinking. I'm I bet torn. you're thinking. Um, gosh, yeah. No, I, I got I got so far with James, and I supported yeah. his whole career, and yeah. then he's come out the other side. And oh, guess what? We've had a son who's also obsessed with football. Yeah, you're basically going to spend sixty years of your life by the side yeah. of a football pitch. I know, and I really thought we'd got away with it with Axel. I, I really did. I remember going to watch him play football like little kickers or whatever, and he's just pretending to play a guitar in the goal, and he's just not <laughs> interested at all. And yeah. I was so relieved, so relieved. Mm. I thought great that's it done like football I never have to watch another football match again brilliant mm. oh Oh no! Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Anyway, it's fine. Me and Gigi went shopping. We went to Primark. It was worse than hell. That's worse than football, isn't it? Oh, oh God! I would, I would have rather have been at a football match for, <laughs> for three days straight. Uh, we queued for forty minutes, and mm. I would have just dumped the stuff because none of it, you know, I was that bothered about. Um, but Gigi found this pair of light up sandals, which are disgusting um and she wanted to queue for them so we queued and we queued and we queued this is like this is like queuing at chessington world adventures (laughs) without any of the fun at the end of it at least you get to go on a ride when you come out of primark you're like oh i'm just stuck with these fucking shit shoes i know (laughs) don't oh god yeah i mean but she loves them she loves these light up shoes so it's worth it for her and to be fair there there were like there were some good bits. Oh, we love Primark. It's just a cute. Yeah, yeah. There's, I got some good trousers for holiday. They also had period knickers. Oh, wow. Um, period knickers. So the, they replace a tampon or a sanitary towel. So I use them anyway now. So I, I don't use... You just put knickers on in the morning and you don't have to even think about your period. Like, you just don't think about it. Well, hold on the, a minute. The knickers just absorb the blood. What? But then you keep them on all you day? You just keep them on all day. You don't see, you don't see it. You don't... like it. They're so good. And then you just put them in the washing like like you would. You're normal what if someone has a really heavy um, heavy bleed? There are different types. So there's obviously ones that absorb more, less. I've used a couple of brands um, and I haven't tried the Primark one, so I can't say if they're good. But when I popped it on Instagram, someone came back and said, I can confirm they're brilliant. And I think they're about £18 for three pairs, which is really good because I think I've paid £18 for one pair. This is this is quite an interesting conversation to have because I think some people who use sanitary towels would be okay with period knickers, but I've never used sanitary towels. I always use tampons and I really yeah. didn't, I don't like, I remember when I, when I had the kids, I didn't like the bleeding process afterwards. Yeah. I didn't like the fact that I couldn't stop the bleeding before it came out, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. It felt really icky. Um, yeah. So, I th- yeah, I think it just depends on, you know, where, where you kind of stand with tampons or sanitary towels, whether you'd be comfortable using them or not. I'd be interested to see what our listen- f- listeners' followers do. Let's yeah. Pop, we'll pop a box up. Yeah. No, I know. Do you know, I didn't, I, I really didn't think it would be for me, but I yeah. remember when I rented my dress out on by rotation yeah. and the lady who um, rented it from me wrote me a letter after to say thank you. And she owns a period pant company and she sent me a pair to try just as like a thank you for, for you know, loaning her the dress. Send you a bottle of champagne. I mean, that would have been great, wouldn't it? <laughs> so I did. I tried them and I couldn't believe how good they were. I just didn't. I didn't notice. I didn't think about my period at all. The, the whole day that I was wearing them. But they also had in there postpartum leggings, which I've never seen like advertised wow. anywhere as postpartum leggings. They had maternity leggings, like obviously normal leggings, and then postpartum leggings. So there's some pretty good stuff in there. 
got to say. This isn't even an ad, guys. We are moving swiftly on from period pants to party, party madness on Saturday. Yes. We had Kit and Doz's birthday, which went down an absolute storm. I can't tell you how good the party was. We had Bouncy Castle from Bouncy Mania. By the way, not, not an ad, any of this either. Um, they came and set up in the garden. We had an incredible bar. They built like a three meter bar, Broken Shaker. That's the name of them. They, they're a husband and wife team. They're so, so lovely. Um, and then we supplied all the booze. So we just did a massive majestic order. And then they made gin and tonics, vodka lime sodas, any other cocktails that you wanted. And then we had obviously wines and everything else. So that was great. So I didn't have to worry about any of that. We so had good. pizza truck. <gasps> and that, that's what I want for Axel's birthday. Yes. Such a good idea. We had a face painter. And I need to give a massive special shout out to number 33 events, Shannon and Rachel, two incredible girls. They did do the whole thing for me, um, you know, as a gift, i.e. I obviously paid for everything else, but they gave me their time for free. So I do need to say a massive thank you in terms of how organized they were, you know, what an amazing job they did, all the finishing touches, like all the floaties for the pool, like they dressed the garden, they organized all the cakes, everything like that, just seamless. So I want to say a massive thank you to them. Oh, Gosh, it sounds fantastic, Steve. This yeah. is the thing about football. I couldn't come. No, I know. <laughs> and apart from somebody putting my phone in their pocket and driving it to oh. Cheltenham. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had a phone since Saturday afternoon. So I've had no, oh. I didn't put any photos on Instagram. I didn't take one picture. I was like, where the hell? I looked for my phone for about 10 hours. At one o'clock in the morning, I passed out in bed and was like, I haven't got my phone. And then the next day, our mate, um, Alex uh, rung up Dozer and was like, mate, halfway back to Cheltenham with the kids in the car, I realised I've got Zoe's phone in my pocket. I was like, you fucking a-hole. Oh my God. And now Luna's got a chicken pox. Pox. Brilliant. Brilliant. Great start to the week. (laughs) We have got a great start to the week because um, we've got an amazing conversation to share with you today. I feel like Georgia and I have just rambled on and on, but loads to catch up on. Um, From somebody that we've both followed online for a long time, her story is really fascinating. She trained as a lawyer and then decided, you know what, I feel like there's not that much representation of um, British Pakistani women, Muslim in Muslims in the sort of fashion and beauty world. And so she sort of fell into it kind of by taking photographs in the loose at work of yeah. what she was wearing. She wears a hijab, um, but she's turned it into the most incredible business and some really interesting points came up in the chat, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes when we sort of chat to people who who are online and they share their whole life. You never know where the conversation's going to go. And I mean, we covered so much ground, like birth. Yeah, I mean, we, we, talk, we talked about her birth, how raising children as women in, you know, in the Western world is really difficult because we don't have this big family unit around us like in lots of different cultures they do. We spoke about staying at home for 40 days after giving birth. There's, I mean, so much. It, it really was a fascinating chat. Yeah, I, I mean, both Georgia and I learned loads. So hopefully you're going to take some brilliant moments away from the conversation. Um, and I think, you know, let's just get into it, George. Who are we chatting to today? It's Sabina Hussein. So I just said before we started this recording that I think we found um, a bit of a soul sister because of one of her posts, basically saying that she was going to start the hoovering an hour earlier when her kids were 18 to wake them up. So 6am hoovering just to get them back for all of the Sunday mornings that she's um, she's missing out on now. But on a serious note, we are so, so thrilled to be chatting to this amazing lady today, um, fashion and beauty uh, content creator. It's Sabina Hussein. Welcome. We finally got here. Tried doing this at the tail end of last year as well. 
No. And then, yeah, with a newborn, I think I was just too optimistic about what I was going to be able to do. Oh, don't. How are you anyway? Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm I'm really good at the moment, I think. I'm on a bit of a high. It's been really busy after Ramadan ended. Um, and I've just been seeing lots of family and friends. And I just think, although I'm absolutely tired from it, you kind of remember that feeling of wanting to do this again during lockdown. Mm. Mm. You know, and I'm trying not to take any of it for granted and just enjoy every moment. So, yeah, it's been nice. We're going to talk to you about Ramadan and the kids and, and that and that kind of side to your life a little bit later on. But for people listening who ha- kind of haven't heard of you, where have they been hiding under a rock? Definitely. Um, but just tell us a little bit about how you kind of be- became a, a content creator and how it all sort of happened for you. It was purely by accident. I was actually studying for my postgraduate degree at the time and I made an Instagram account purely just to you know, uses a social platform like everybody else was. And within about a month, I had a thousand followers, which for me was so bizarre. But where I was showing outfits online and not even realizing it, but, you know, women like me, women who wore a headscarf hadn't seen that before. They hadn't been exposed to that before, especially a woman in a job in a, in a Western environment, you know, somebody that's mm-hmm. got on the tube and then go into the office um, and at the time, it was really hard to find pieces on the high street that you could work with a hijab. So I think because of that, I built quite a strong following very quickly. Um, there was only a handful of us back then. I think this was like mm. the end of 2014. Um, you know, and there's there's so many amazing content creators now and a whole generation of women coming and doing this. But that's how it started. Mm. Um, and I was still working. You know, I did my finished my degree, went into law. I was working. And it was only when I was on mat leave that I kind of thought, well, actually... I could turn this into a business mm. um, and just flip like my whole mindset. Because before it was just me sharing snippets of everyday life. And um, I thought, let me see how I can monetize this and turn this into a business. And it's absolutely insane. When I look back now, five years later, I've got three kids. I'm married. Um, I've got my own jewelry business. But all of that just started from, from just making an Instagram they were like they, they were like trying to call you back into the legal offices. Like, we're just doing a deal. And you're like, that. I'm just taking a picture of my outfit. Can okay? we just talk about They're my clothes? Did you, when you started um, your Instagram page, was it because there, you didn't see enough representation in, like, in the UK? It was purely accidental. I didn't even realise, you know, when I, when I started this, it wasn't a thing. Social media mm. platforms didn't have the power that they have now. So when I got all of these followers, it was, I mean, at the beginning, it was just an ego boost. It was like, oh, wow, look at all of these likes. Yeah. You know, I remember mm. the first time I got a thousand likes. Um, and, you know, especially when you're when you're still quite young and in your early 20s, that, that for me was like the reason I was doing it back then. Mm. And one of the solicitors that I worked with actually said to me one time, because I started getting um, sent free freebies and samples from brands and it was small startup brands. And he said, you should be charging them. And I turned around to him and I said, who's going to pay me? And give me products, you know. I'm just, I'm just grateful for what I'm getting. Not realizing actually how insane this space was going to become and how much it was going to explode. So mm. yeah, I think he took that in switch in my mind. That thought, okay, let me see what I can do with this. And also, how many women you are helping, you know, day to day? Because I mean, let's let's kind of go back to your childhood. Was was fashion and dress up a big part of it, or is it something that you discovered a little bit later on? I think it was always a huge part of it. I think Pakistani clothes are so beautiful. Mm. I think it's one of my favorite elements of the culture, just the bright clothes, bright colors, the embroidery. Um, you know, and I think I went through a phase in my childhood where I was abs- you know, I grew up watching Bollywood movies. Yeah. yeah. Fashion was always huge. And my mum was a seamstress. She used to sew Pakistani clothes. So I think I was exposed to it. But where I was always in traditional clothes and not really allowed to wear Western clothes, I think at the time I resented my mum for not allowing me to wear jeans to non-uniform day. 
right. you already feel quite different being the brown girl. And then, you know, to have that restrictions in place where you're dressed differently as well. It's difficult when you're growing up. And I don't think you realize it until late in life. And you look back, I, under- I completely understand why my mum did it now. It was, you know, her way of holding on to her culture. Yeah. Like, whole new world. Um, so, but, you know, and, and then I went through a phase of like not wanting to wear it, resenting. And I think now I'm back to a stage where I'm comfortable in, in whatever I wear, because I know it's, it's not about what you wear, but how you wear it. And I think that's what, that's the message that I'm sen- trying to send through across on my platform. Mm. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, going to own clothes day and not being able to wear jeans. Did you get any reaction from like your friends and not, you know, not, not your friends, but just people in your <laughs> yeah, class? Your <laughs> I don't think so. And that's a strange thing. So it was clearly a me issue. Yeah. Somewhere mm. along the line, I, you know, built up this internal resentment. Um, and I think it was trying to juggle like so many different things, you know, you're, especially during my teenage years, you're a teenager, you're going through all that teenager stuff, but then you're Pakistani and you're Muslim and you, you, wherever you are, whichever environment you're in, you'll, you feel like you have to have a, a different persona to fit in. Yeah, you want to fit in. It's that whole thing, isn't it? And then trying to juggle all of that, it's it's really difficult because you then go through that, well, actually, who am I? Mm. And I think that's another message that I want to send through across on my platform is that you can be who you are. You might be different in different environments, but that still doesn't mean that you're not being true to yourself. Mm. That's actually an art to be able to do that and juggle all the different elements of yourself. Mm. Yeah. Talk, talk to us about your pregnancies. You've got three kids, three under four. You are our absolute hero. Um, just just talk us through the moment you found out you were pregnant with your first. We didn't plan it. We got married in September 2016. And I said I didn't want a baby for at least three years. And then after Noah was born, I was like, I'm not, I'm not happy. I hate being pregnant. Which okay. is absolutely absurd that I've done three so close together. <laughs> I have her, I'm, I'm, you know, I like to get up and just get on with things. And so when I'm pregnant, I get extreme nausea and extreme, extreme fatigue. Um, I was actually working throughout my first pregnancy. So I was, I was pregnant with Noah. I was doing all of this on the side, doing YouTube on the side and working full time. Um, and I used to go and nap in my car during my lunch break. Oh yeah, the old nap in the car. <laughs> I love I still that. love doing that now. I'm like that. Any opportunity, whoop. Yeah, and I think from that point on in my life, I've just been exhausted. And you mentioned it was when you was on maternity leave that you decided to make, you know, fashion and beauty content creation your job. How did your like husband and your friends react? Because it was obviously still relatively new back then. I think the people that were closest to me could actually see, um, you know, where this was headed because they'd been with me from the journey right from the beginning um, and just to see how quickly things escalated from, you know, just posting pictures of products or talking about reviews to actually making serious amounts of money. You know, I remember I was still working full time and I went on a press trip with um, a Turkish fashion brand. They flew me out to Istanbul. Um, there was fashion week. I sat fr- front row of the fashion week. You know, they took us around to all of the brands and let us pick whatever we liked. And then I went back into the office on on Monday morning and, you know, it was absolutely absurd talking about what I just spent my weekend doing. Um, But I think, you know, when you see that actually this is the future of marketing and those huge budgets that were were traditionally used on on other platforms and in other places are now being pushed online and being pushed to digital, then you realise that this is a serious business venture. And I think for me, it was always, how am I going to do this? How am I going to run it as a business, but also still be authentic and be true to myself? Yeah, Mm. absolutely. And I guess you had a newborn at the time and you're trying to start a business. Well, this is why I had to do it on my mat leave. I either go back to the office and work 50, 60 hours a week for somebody else 
Mm. Or I do this and work throughout the night and hustle, but have, you know, do it on my own terms. Yeah. And those that those first few months were a killer because he was three weeks old the first time I left him. That's like mm. something that's always going to stay with me. But if I hadn't done that, then I, if I hadn't gone out and networked, and I wasn't making any money back then, mm. living off my um, mat, mat pay, which let's be honest, is absolutely ridiculous and disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially yeah. when you compare it to how much childcare is in this country. I don't even think I qualified to get stat mat pay because um, I'm freelance. I don't even think I got it. I, did, I didn't take it at all during my pregnancies. And maybe it was just me that didn't fill out a form properly, but I don't think I... I mean... I mean, that is a, that is a strong possibility. <laughs> I haven't had it for the other two. I've had to just balance, juggle and balance and manage. Yeah. But that obviously, because I was still in a paid job, so I was PAYE under someone else. Yeah. Yeah, you could it's still... interesting, isn't it? Um, now, you told us that you didn't... You don't remember the moment that you found out you were pregnant, but obviously this is a parenting podcast, Sabina, so we're going to have to talk to you about your births. We yes. love a birth story. Um, <laughs> and I imagine they're going to be three different tales. So just take us back to your first and, and, and give us the details. So I was due on February the 9th, I think. Um, and it was... It was 18th of January, it was my mum's birthday, so we went out for um, lunch. I had an argument with my sister because she's allergic to everything under the sun. Um, and I just just felt like, you know, I think my body kind of knew it was time, even yeah. though I didn't realise I was very emotional. Um, got home that night and my waters broke. Um, and I'm so glad that, you know, I was like, my husband was like, Let, let's go, let's go straight away. It's like one o'clock in the morning. Um because I've heard that actually if your water's breaking your preterm, which I was, I was 37, no, I was 36 weeks at the time, mm-hmm. um, it can be very dangerous. And I think, yeah, yeah um, looking back, I'm so glad we did that. We went in the middle of the night, even though I had, I was in no pain, no discomfort, any, apart from the water's breaking, there was nothing else. Um, and then I spent what feels like forever in hospital because my contractions wouldn't start. So they had me on a, they had me on a drip for, to prevent any infection to the baby because obviously the waters are broken. Um, and then they said, oh, we'll, we'll monitor you and hopefully you'll, it'll start naturally. It didn't. Um, and they came and I don't know what they did. I think they put something up there. <laughs> they put something up there. <laughs> As they do. That didn't start it either. And then eventually, by I think it was like the third day, they had to put me on a hormone drip um, to induce me with artificial contractions. Um, and the midwives kept saying, have the, epi- have the epidural, have the epidural. And I had my mum and my husband in there and my mum's in the corner of the room looking at me like, don't have the epidural, don't have the epidural. <laughs> um, so for about six hours or seven hours, I managed without the epidural and then I was like, I can't do this. Then I have the epidural. Well done. Yeah, well done. Well, well done. done. <laughs> exactly. It's funny, isn't it, that journey that you go on because you have a really preconceived idea about what you're going to have and you know that certain, certain people don't want any pain medication at all. Other people just go in there and they're like, right, give me the epidural or I want a C-section or whatever it is. And it's weird when it when it veers off course to what you think you're going to have to what you end up having because there's quite a lot of feelings around that. I know personally I went through this feeling of like, oh, God, it wasn't a natural birth because I had an epidural and I had pethidin and all this kind of stuff. But actually, birth is birth. Yeah, it's the most natural thing in the whole world to bring a baby into the world, isn't it? So actually when it came to the birth, I, I kept myself in the dark for so long because I was like, I don't want to go in with this preconceived notion of what I'm going to do and how I need it to be. Because as soon as it veers off course, which it it will, it always will. It's not yeah. something you can plan and control. As soon as it goes off course, I know I'm going to have a, an emotional meltdown. And actually, your mental state of mind when you're going through that and that experience, you need to be mentally strong to get through it physically. Because mm. it, it, it's absolutely insane what the body goes through. Yeah, exactly. And also you mentioned that your mum was saying like, no, don't have an epidural. Have you asked her why? Because I remember my mother-in-law saying that to me, but my mum saying, 
do what the hell you want. When she had me, she was very young when she had me. I think she was 17. I don't even think it was the epidural. I'm not sure what it was, um, but it went slightly wrong. And since then, she's had quite severe back aches. Right, right. There's four of us. So she had the epidural with me. And then I don't I don't know if she's going to appreciate me discussing this on a podcast. But um, And then with my brother, I think she had gas and air. With both my sisters, she went fully natural, not even gas and air. Right. And I think when you've been through that experience where you've done it naturally, you want other women to experience that because that's why I had the third time and it was amazing. So I, I do kind of see where she's coming from. But yeah, it wasn't helpful. Mm. Mm. Not in the moment. You didn't want to hear that. <laughs> the epidural is a weird one, isn't it? Because they go like you're, you're having to deal with the contractions and then you've got this needle coming in, but you have to bend like over like that. And I just remember feeling this is the most on that. I've got this massive, you know, baby right there. And then I'm having to deal with this needle. I found that that was pretty much the worst. I mean, it was the best bit afterwards because the pain was gone. But that part I found really weird. They're like, stay still. It's like, how can I stay still? Like they just, you're just like trying to deal with the contraction and he's like, stay still. And you're like, but I literally cannot physically stay still. Talk to me how I'm supposed to stay still, please. Because I would love to know. I mean, culturally, is it it any different um, to, to like do you have did you keep your hijab like what, what does that how does that look like in there I haven't and it was actually interesting because during my second labor the midwife was a hijabi herself and I noticed how she was trying to keep my hair covered and certain parts of my body covered and um right. she was very good but like it come on when you're giving birth you don't give a shit about anything else <laughs> no <laughs> it's like just get it out of me I don't care about anything else right now um so no I haven't been but um I haven't been bothered but I know with some women do you don't have to wear it in front of other women so it's only like if there's a an emergency and you have to have a male doctor or somebody male come in that you would yeah. have uncovered or like yeah like you say like an anaesthetist or or whatever right okay I get that and what about baby two and three so yeah yeah I went over so this was ah oh, this was the worst because where I was three weeks early with Noah I thought I was going to be early again the second time um so I don't don't really give myself mat leave but I stopped going in for meetings and work events at week 35 thinking you know I've got two weeks at home to just relax and then he'll be here and he was a week and a half late so I was sat at home for six and a half weeks absolutely huge unable to do anything just eating and watching tv it was the worst that sounds like a dream to me yeah (laughs) sign me up yeah but obviously you had a little one what was the age gap between one and two 22 22 months 22 first two and 23 months between the second two wow and how did the second birth go I can't even remember I think I was just so desperate for him to be here because I was just so fed up and it's sad because you know you're only pregnant for a short one where it's where I struggle with it so much and then afterwards you 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 look back and you miss I mean you you forget the horrible bits but you miss the nice bits and I just think Mm. I was especially towards the end I was just wishing it all away um 40 I think I had to go for a um not a smear sweep sweep and then I think I was in went into labor the next morning bit quicker yeah I had an epidural because I said I wanted it straight away um oh no that's it so my waters broke but again no contractions so I had to have I had to have the drip yeah Yeah. I'm having the drip I'm gonna have um I'm gonna have the epidural so yeah, that's quite good for the second. And then number three did complete no no drugs, no nothing. Number three was insane. So was it? My waters, there was no one in the room when I was about to give birth. Scary, but like amazing. Like, okay, so let me talk you through it. It was like one o'clock in the morning when my waters broke and I rung the hospital. Um, and I was like, should I come in? And they're like, well, you can wait till the morning. 
And I thought, I just don't want to risk it. I don't want to chance it. I think it was 38 weeks. Um, so, and it's like the middle of the night. So I had to wake the other two up, drop them off to my mum's. Um, and then we he- headed over to the hospital. And then obviously because of COVID, we both had to be tested. I had to sit around for two hours before they could take us up to the um, birthing unit. But I'd already, I could already feel that the contractions were quite close together already by like three o'clock when we were waiting. Um, so when they took us up, got everything sorted um you know before I know it was like seven o'clock in the morning midwives went out to do something my husband said oh, I'm gonna go grab a coffee and I said that's fine so I'm just lying there and then all of a sudden the contractions just get really really quick really really fast and I always have Surah Maryam playing which is it's um the part in the Quran about um Mary when she gave birth to Jesus we believe it was in like in, in she was in the middle of the desert and she was on her own um and it's supposed to be really helpful. And I've had it playing through all of my births. So I was literally just focusing on that and just trying to breathe through. And there was a part of me that was going into absolute meltdown thinking, what if something goes wrong and there's no one in here? Mm. And then there was another part of me that was just focusing, you know, on the words and just trying to calm myself down. I was like, if she could do it in the desert on her own. Yeah, you're on your own. I was like, somebody's going to walk in eventually. Like somebody will come back eventually, you know, and worst case scenario, if something does go terribly, terribly wrong, they'll deal with it when they find us um and then the midwife literally came in <laughs> as I was crowning I was like I need to push and she's like just let me get my glove on um and I was obviously quite high on the gas and air and I just remember in my head thinking you haven't got time to get glove <laughs> don't worry about the glove love just deliver the baby she said to me afterwards she goes you were so calm she goes you were so calm that I just didn't think yeah, you were there, actually yeah. ready to push and she goes, then I turned around and saw that the head was coming out. So it was just me and her. Yeah, it was just me and her on our own in there. And my husband wow. came I rang him, you know, a couple of minutes later when I kind of, um, and he said, no, you're joking. And no, I said, no, come back. He was like, no, no, you're joking. I was like, I, I promise you, I'm not joking. Had you I'm given like, birth already? Yeah, yeah. That's how quick it was. That, it was you know. So he'd gone for a coffee, come back and the, there's the baby. It was, But it was wow. amazing. It was honestly spiritually mentally just like the most amazing experience now I kind of understand why why my mum said to do it without the epidural because it's just so different and I appreciate obviously it's not for everyone and it is really difficult but I'm so glad that I've got I've got both because after I did that and the midwife said to me she was like it's the adrenaline but I was like I could do that again sign me up that's how I felt we'll be right back after this short break ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to this episode of Made by Mamas. Now, where were we? 
What's that ring of fire thing that everyone speaks about? Because I've never, I haven't had that because I was absolutely zonkoed. But um, the, the, the part where the baby's head crowns and come crowns is you get this sort of burning feeling do you know what but I it's mean? like exhilarating and uplifting at the same time yeah and I, obviously because I'd had two epidurals before I'd never had that before yeah no yeah it's strange isn't it but so do you think you'll do it again then you're saying that your last birth was so positive I hate being pregnant I'm just not me when I'm pregnant and I think where I've done three so close together it's mentally physically emotionally just broken me mm. and you know I'm I'm in a quite a good place now but even just January of this year, I was not in a good place. And I'm like, don't really want to risk going back there when I've got three little ones already. So I'm not saying no. That's not a no. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. Just talk, talk to us about that. How, like, how, how do you feel when you, you say you don't feel yourself? In what way? I just think, I mean, I lockdown wasn't good for any of us. No, no. I do think this country is like dealing with like a mental health pandemic. Yeah. Um, we're not, we're not, we're not recognizing um so I'm I'm you know I was quite aware that I was dealing with things and I you know kept saying oh it's anxiety it's this it's that um and only now when I look back I'm like well actually no I was depressed you know when you're crying every day nothing feels good and you keep saying to yourself oh I've got three kids you know it's it's a lot to go out and you just cancel on everybody and you only ever go when it's work or you know it's really important I mean we even rescheduled this a few times because every time I was like no I can't mentally I'm not ready to talk but when you're going through it's really hard to kind of recognize that that's what's happening and I remember the first time I said to my best friend I was like I think I'm depressed and she was like babe you are you are depressed (laughs) it's not you think you are she was like I haven't wanted to say it to you but I've you know I've known it for a long time um and I think I try and use my social platforms to talk about that as well because I think for me as a third third generation Pakistani living in this country motherhood and that journey is so different to what my mum or what my grandmother experienced Mm. and it's also so different to what other mothers in this country are experiencing so it can be so hard to relate to anybody else about it Mm. I want to delve I want to touch on that in in what way how do you feel different certain cultural expectations you know I've heard women in the community say about their daughter-in-laws oh she's had two and she's done you know, because these women are just used to having big families, but they lived in joint family, especially when they first came to this country. They lived in joint yeah. family households. You know, you had several aunts in the house managing their kids together. Mm-hmm. You know, if there was a day that, and again, I think one of the reasons that mental health and especially maternal mental health isn't well recognized or spoken about in South Asian communities is because actually the support system and the postpartum care is so high and of such good quality that women didn't deal with postnatal issues. Yeah, because they had their family and the support around them. They say it takes a village and that we don't live like that now in in this country, yeah. They had that support, so it's hard for them to understand why, well, actually, you've only got two and I had four. Why are you struggling? You know, not realising all the other social pressures and work pressures that we're dealing with. But, you know, in my culture, a woman... And when I had no, I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. But a woman is supposed to stay at home for 40 days. And the way that had always been spoken to me about was, you're not allowed to go out for 40 days. So I'm like, nobody's telling me what I can do. Mm. And, you know, I want to be out by day three. But actually, by the the time I had baby number three, I was reading and researching on it myself and recognizing that it's, no, it's not that you're not allowed out for 40 days. It's that 
you get bed rest for 40 days. You get time to bond with a baby for 40 days. Somebody else comes and cooks you these wholesome meals that are going to help you heal inside and, you know, help you yield the best best breast milk that you can get. And somebody's going to come and help you with your kids because that's what was done culturally. And actually, if you have that support and that care after every single child, of course, you're not going to struggle in the same way as if you're trying to do it all by yourself. God, this is fascinating. Yeah. This is fascinating. So you've done a complete 180 on that. So at, at the, fir- the first conversations of you, right, you need to stay at home for 40 days, you were like, absolutely not. I'm doing my no. own thing. And now after the third one, you're thinking, God, what if I'd stayed at home for 40 days? I would have got the rest that I actually required. Because I've got to be honest, me and George found that. Yeah. We, we were at home. And suddenly we were just trying to get back into normal life, feeling like we'd been through car crashes. Yeah. And my mental health was horrendous after it. I mean, I was crying day in, day out, left, right and centre. And there wasn't anyone there to look after me. My mum yeah. stayed for a week and then she went back to Kenya and that was that. And it was just, it, it, we're not we're not set up for it. It's like, no. we, it's weird, isn't it, George? Because we, yeah, we, both Sarah and I lived away from our family and stuff when we, when we fell pregnant and had our first children. So it was li- give birth, get home. Neither of our partners had any paternity leave. So yeah. they went straight back to work. I remember my husband being like almost 300 miles away two, di- two days after Axel was born. Yeah. And you, you, then the midwife comes around and you're crying and you think, well, no wonder. Like, no wonder there's no one here to help and I'm trying to navigate this mm. whole new experience and new life while trying to maintain everything I did before um it is it, it's not it, right it, it's not right the expectation mm. is too much and I don't think we've as women we've spoken about it before and for me I think the pandemic really made me realize what stay-at-home mums do or what just just mums in general do and how much they have to juggle and how much they have to take on in society. It's just a role that we've always kind of taken for granted and not valued at all. Could you tell us, Sabina, in your culture, what happens after baby is born? Just to give us an insight into what the sort of norm is and who's there and who's cooking the meals. And, you know, just just because I just, we have no idea. No, no, it's fine. So firstly, um, so normally the the mum will either go back to her mum's house and stay with her mum's house. That's what happens the majority of the time, just because I think, who's best to take care of you, your mum. And that, you know, all women know that when their daughter has a baby, that's what they're going to do. For me, I really wanted to be my own space. So I actually, I never did that. But my mum was walking distance always. So right. she always just come and come and help with whatever she needed to. Um, and then the cooking, it's just whoever is available, whether it's a mum, a mother-in-law, an aunt, a cousin, because obviously families are so big as well. And if everybody who's had a baby kind of understands what it is to go through that, someone will bring food. Um, there are specific dietary foods as well that like are encouraged um and again when I had no I was like no not eating any of that whereas by baby number three I was like yeah, <laughs> give it all to me <laughs> my family originate from the like the Punjab area of Pakistan yeah they've always traditionally been like farmers so you need physical strength and as yeah. a woman who's obviously like bearing multiple children which is what they did I mean, if, if any of us had to do that and then go back out and do physical work, I think we'd be broken. So they needed good diets. So the postpartum food is actually so important. You know, there's lots of turmeric and things because that helps you to heal from the inside as well. Yeah. Um, lots of like red meat. Yeah, just to like replace any blood loss. I actually love that when you say, you know, it's whoever, who, you know, whoever's around comes in and cooks. And I actually, thinking about it, I've got a daughter, if she does have children, I want to do that for her. Like my mum has been great and I, I absolutely I cannot complain because I'm really lucky. You are. But I, would, I, th- I think that is something, and you know, it's 
I guess maybe it is, it's, it's in my family line. My, my nan would have done that for my mum and my auntie. And it's definitely something that I want to then do. And what, I, I guess, why is this, why does this not happen so much in yeah, Western in culture. culture? It yeah. doesn't, does it? But maybe now we're talking about it, our generation will start it again. Yeah. And I think talking about it is the main thing. And then, you know, being proactive and seeing what you can do. Um, where my cousin lives, they actually, their mosque has a group for new mums. So even people who don't have a support network, network in terms of like maybe many family or friends in the area, um, you know, one of the other mums on the chat, one of the other women on the chat will agree to make a meal for that woman and the new baby for, for the first two weeks so that they know that. lunch and dinner. And if they've got kids, it'll be like their lunches as well. Why didn't you do that for me, George? <laughs> you were down the road. You never bought me a meal or anything. What? Did you bring me a meal? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> We were too busy trying to figure it all out. It's so interesting. Um, we're talking a lot about the mums um, in, in your culture, but and, and the fathers are very active and on the scene and doing their bit as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the type of household I grew up in. I would always see my dad like helping out in the kitchen, mm. um, you know, and even with me, like I spent a lot of time just me and him growing up. So that's exactly how I wanted my husband to be. And honestly, he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing with the boys. Sometimes I have to remind him, I have to be like, you're their, their dad, not their brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always have to be like the bad cop and like tell them off and, you know, be the one that disciplines them. But like, even, even when I was pregnant and, you know, obviously I haven't got a, a big gap between either of them. Um, and yeah, is obviously still in nappies. So, you know, I didn't change a nappy for like at least six months. Oh, dreamy. Business, that's great. A- any pressure to breastfeed? Yes and no. So my mum was great because she was in the room when I had Noah and she put him on my breast straight away. And that just made the whole journey for me so much easier. But then she was also the one, you know, three weeks later that was saying to me, I, would, I don't think he's full. Give him, give him a bottle, give him a bottle. And actually at that point, I wish I'd known that the more I feed him, the more milk I'm going to get. But me being worried that, you know, he's not getting enough, I ended up... Mm giving him formulas so, so I did mix for about six months but I think that that journey could have been different and it was second and third time it was you know it was my own choice but like my mother-in-law and my husband kept saying you know breastfeed breastfeed for as long as you can you've just obviously come out out of Ramadan so during those periods for a breastfeeding mother how like we know how important it is to com- like keep eating are there different sort of rules around it you don't have to fast if you're um breastfeeding and I I haven't fasted for the last four years because I've either been pregnant or breastfeeding You're right um, so this year um because we'd we'd started weaning him already so with that and you know with a few bottles of formula here and there I managed to kind of fast and I mean I was gonna stop and then I don't think I'm emotionally ready to to say goodbye to that yet <laughs> I'm only feeding from one side as well so it's gonna completely destroy my body um but yeah, I don't think I'm emotionally ready to like let go of go of it yet so I am still breastfeeding him yes you were saying that you you've just finished Ramadan and I, I guess sort of talking about the practicalities with the kids and stuff you're functioning on what four hours sleep you said when we weren't recording god how hard was that I don't know how I did it I honestly don't know how I did it but by the time you finished evening prayers and you go to bed it's normally about 12 o'clock um and then midnight I'll, yeah about midnight so I'll, I'll talk you through the day so you yeah wake, yeah you up at about three thirty in the morning to eat but it's, you're not just eating, you, you're staying, staying awake to pray. So by the time you go back to bed, it's about 4.30, quarter to five. And that, the time changes every day, it moves slightly more forward or slightly more back because obviously sunrise, it yeah. fast from sunrise sunrise to sunset. So that's why the time changes slightly every day. 
Um, but most days I was going back to bed about 5 a.m. And then Yahya, who is two and a half, was waking up at like 5.30, 6 o'clock every day. Oh. No matter what time he was going to bed. So that was when, when my day would start. Um, and then fast would break. I mean, again, it changed every day. But at the beginning of Ramadan, it was 7.30. By the end of Ramadan, it was 8.30. And because they were on Easter half term, I thought, let me keep, let me change their routine. Let me keep them awake. Um, and you know, it'd be easier for me because they'll sleep in the next day. Completely messed up their routine. No. They didn't sleep in, so we were all absolutely exhausted. Oh, um, but by the time you know we'd we'd broken fast, normally we'd, we'd be at my mum's or my mother-in-law's. We'd have somebody over, especially because this is the first Ramadan post lockdown, so we haven't really been able to break fast with anyone for the last couple of years. Um, so every kind of day there was something going on, and still working at the same time. Um, so by the time we've broken fast and put the kids to bed, it's normally about 10 o'clock. You do your evening prayers, 11, 11.30, do whatever oh, else. Oh, God, you must be absolutely shattered. Oh, and you're goodness. also doing all of your day-to-day work as well as looking after three little ones and pretty pretty hungry, I imagine. I really slowed work down during Ramadan. Yeah. It's normally my like, yeah. second busiest time of the year. But I was like, no. I was like, I haven't fasted for four years. Mentally, I really needed that spiritual lift up. Mm. Um, and I think it did it did wonders for my mental health. But I needed to slow everything down to be able to do that and just be present with the kids as well because they were they were on holiday. They were at home all day. By the time they reach puberty, that's the time that it that they should start fasting. But when we were growing up, because Ramadan is it, because the Islamic calendar is ten days shorter than the Gregorian calendar, Ramadan moves back ten days every year. Um, so when I was in primary school, it was in, like I said, it was in December. Um, the fasts were very short. So it was like from 8am till like 4pm, 5pm. So really we just have breakfast a bit earlier, skip lunch and then have dinner when we got back from school. And it was so easy. And I was nine, 10 doing that. Right. Um, so I really just, I think it depends on what time of year it is as well. Yeah. So I guess we will we be going next year, will be further into, yeah, right. Okay. This year it started on the 1st of April. So next year it will start on the 20th of March. Right. And as the clocks go back at the end of March, the first 10 days, well, actually we'll be breaking fast at about 5.30 and then it will do that quick jump to like. Right. <laughs> and you, sorry, you said that you, you slowed work down, but we've seen that you've been doing loads of Eid events with beauty brands how has that been and and absolutely amazing just to see that change in this space you know from what it was five six years ago um as a complete 360 um it's lovely it's been lovely I mean I'm absolutely shattered because every day it's been something um but I think we're all done I think we closed off with Eid events yesterday but it's just it's just so wonderful to see so many of the brands that I grew up like loving be so diverse and inclusive now well, yeah. what's your dream for inclusivity um when it comes to beauty like what would you like to see more of i want the behind the scenes to match the ad and the marketing campaigns in the events um and I, and I think it is changing and people are learning and people are being more inclusive but one of the things that i've always said is that a lot of these brands are based in london you mm. know and when you're at an entry level job which you kind of normally need to get into these big corporate brands um, and you come in from a working background anywhere else in the in the rest of the country to then live in London on that yeah. low weight, it's it's impossible. Yeah. And let's be real let's be realistic. The vast majority of ethnic minorities in this country are from working class backgrounds. Mm. In order to to have that diversity and that inclusivity and that change behind the scenes, there needs to be some sort of access program or something. Yeah. Cause it, it, do you know what I look back because I interned at beauty brands and fashion PR companies and all that kind of stuff and 
I'm I was lucky. You know, I lived in London. My parents could sort of keep 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 my like life going and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't get paid for about a year and a half. Mm. It, I just don't understand how you know. How are people expected to do that? But it, I mean, it hasn't changed. My sisters still live at home. The younger one, she's twenty, but the 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 national minimum wage yeah. for that age is ridiculous. It's like she's on like six pounds something an hour, and it's fine because she's still at home and she's still at uni. But you know, if you are on your own or if you don't have a support network or any, how are you supposed to do that? My my, my first job, I think we got like two pounds seventy five an hour. And I remember, obviously, I was still at, at kind of home at the time. And then I was like, oh, I'll move to the big smoke. Things are going to really change here. And I remember my first ever job in London was working on the reception of a TV production company. And I think I got something like 11 grand a year. It's madness, isn't it? And I was I renting this flat in Battersea, like just like living with like seven other people or something ridiculous. I had one little single bed on the floor. Like it's, it's a crazy time. But like you said... It, it, things haven't really things haven't really changed that much. No, you know what I mean? With inflation, even when I came out of uni, it was it was exactly the same thing. You know, like standing there with two degrees, with the best results I can get, and everybody saying, yeah. well, "Well, what experience do you have? What experience do you have?" Sorry, oh, I spent my whole life in education. Didn't realize I was supposed to have. You know, I've worked since I was sixteen, but mm. didn't realize I was supposed to have relevant experience as well. And my first job, I think I was on about sixteen thousand. Yeah. You know, when you think about the amount of debt that you're in when you leave uni as well, and I was on the lower fees. I was on the, you know, when it was three and a half thousand, it's 10,000 a year now. Yeah, mm. it's, you don't yeah. get a shot today. It's really it's tough. It's going to be very difficult for sure for future generations if it continues. Um, George, should we move on to beauty products? Yes. So we love to ask our guests their favorite products. And I think because we've got you on, we'd love to hear your top five beauty products. I love the Estee Lauder Advanced Night Repair. That's like a product that I started using after I had Noah. So before I had Noah, I was like, oh, I don't care about skincare. It's all about makeup. <laughs> um, and I came back from the hospital. You know, when you've been on, on the plane and you don't put anything on your skin? Yes. Imagine that happening to your face for like two whole weeks. Yeah. That's what happened. Because after I gave birth, Noah then got jaundice. So we were in there for another week and a bit. So I came home and my skin was just mm. so parched and that absolutely saved me. I love the Elizabeth Arden eight hour cream. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You can put it everywhere. Yeah. And especially with kids as well. Like I have one that's I have one that's in my beauty office, but then I have one that's in the medicine cabinet. Because mm. so often they'll have a graze or like really dry skin or something. And it's it's absolutely brilliant with the kids. Yeah. I love the YSL. I've got it on right now, the uh, the blusher in shade three. It's so pretty. It's gorgeous. You know, like when you're just absolutely shattered and your skin your skin is telling everybody that you're shattered. It it just gives you that really natural glow. Um, and I think for like deeper skin as well, peach is the perfect blush. Love a peach blush. Have you got a favorite mascara? Because I, I, I'm always on the lookout for, a, for like I, an amazing... I'm wearing Benefit Bad Girl Bang, which is amazing. And their yeah, yeah. Long Time Idol one is really good as well. I'm not the biggest fan of mascara only because I hate how long it takes to take off. What cleansing oil do you use? Well, do you know what? I've just started using, it's a Japanese brand and it's called Tasha. Oh yeah. Oh my God, the products are so beautiful, I can't tell you. I've, I've had three nights of the cleansing oil and I feel like I've only got a tinted moisturizer on and I feel like my skin's looking the best it's looked for ages. Okay, well, I've got that, I've got that sat on my desk. Oh yeah, <laughs> use it, get into it. Just before we go, we always like to ask, what piece of advice would you give a new mum or like what's the best piece of advice that you were given? I'd probably say that it, it takes a village to raise a child. And if you don't have that village, go out and find that village. If you can afford to pay for it, pay for that village. Don't, you know, I think especially as modern day mums, 
we just want to do it all by ourselves for ourselves Mm -hmm. and actually the reality is when you have a child or when you have a baby you need all the help you can get so don't don't ever be afraid to ask for it don't don't ever feel bad for taking it love that Sabina it's been such a delight chatting to you thank you so much what an interesting conversation thank you come back and see us soon interesting stuff in there what an amazing woman so I know she's fantastic I love how honest she was as well and how she's kind of learned along her parenting journey you know things that she's wanted to take from her culture and her background and you know like for instance she's like you know she pushes back against a lot of stuff she's like no I don't need to stay at home I I want to get straight back out there and then by baby number three she's like oh no you're right you're so right I'm gonna stay here and everyone can bring me lovely meals and cook for me at home it sounds dreamy I wish someone had done that to me oh same I really love that and I, I I said it in the chat but I do kind of want to do that if Gigi, you know if, if Gigi and Axel do have children I do want to create that environment because if you if you can make something easier and a nicer experience for your children why wouldn't you like of co- course if you can if you're there why wouldn't you do it um so I definitely want to do it can I just say something though when by the time your children have children you and me are going to be living on our boat remember we have that plan. <laughs> oh yeah well then that'll be we can't do it so oh, the, thought, okay, fine. the thought will be there right but if I'm in another country <laughs> then I'm sorry I'm sorry guys I just can't that you but you can listen back and you'll know that I had good intentions. <laughs> Her intentions were always good. Like that, yeah. uh, thank you so much for listening to the conversation. Um, as always, we would love you to rate, review, subscribe and give the podcast a little follow if you can as well. Yes, please do. And if you have any suggestions for guests you'd like to hear from, then please do drop us a DM on Instagram. We're on at Made by Mummers and we'll be back on Friday. Made by Mamas is an Insanity podcast production and today's episode was produced by the wonderful Charlotte Mason. Insanity Group. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.